Tea Soul Pop, Season 4, Episode 1. Welcome to TESOL Pop. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about student well-being and support is teacher and counsellor Constantine Goldau. Constantine completed his first master's in pedagogy and psychology in 2004, but only stepped into the classroom in 2018, working with kindergarten and primary school students in Hong Kong. Aside from this, he is also about to complete his second master's degree in counselling part of which is a clinical placement in an international school as a mental health counsellor trainee. With his experience in teaching special educational needs students, combined with his work during the COVID pandemic, his upcoming switch from class to counselling room comes at the right time. Hello, Constantine, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's so good to speak to you. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what a student counsellor's role can involve, as well as look at different ways in which a counsellor can support students' learning and well-being in a school setting. Finally, we're going to look at some of the challenges students may encounter in a post-COVID era and suggest steps on how we, as educators, can support learners as they return to the face-to-face classroom or a hybrid learning environment. Today's episode centres on Constantine's experience, which we hope will inspire further conversations for you, our listeners. Of course, counselling is a trained profession that follows strict ethical guidelines to safeguard everyone. We therefore advise that you contact your principal or pastoral care team that's relevant to your working context before acting on any of the tips or ideas discussed in this episode. Of course, the responsibilities of a counsellor will vary depending on the needs of the learners they're working with. Could you share some examples that illustrate the type of support you provide students, parents and teachers? From a counselling perspective, recently we've seen throughout and in exchange with colleagues an increase with the general population of uncertainty, of anxieties resulting from that uncertainty. Globally, I suppose, we are living in times which are promoting these worries and these anxieties. And there isn't much, in a sense, of resources to where to go because there is still a huge stigma uh, around feeling worried, feeling anxious, feeling depressed. So mood and anxiety related issues I experienced to be on the up um, as a counsellor but also as a teacher. At this point in time many educators around the world are facing new challenges in an ongoing COVID or or post-COVID environment depending on where they're located and what restrictions are levied. Educators may find themselves supporting learners who may find it challenging returning to a physical classroom having studied online during the lockdowns. For other educators, they may find themselves navigating a hybrid learning environment that involves some online and some face-to-face teaching. Thinking about this, what challenges may learners experience in returning to a face-to-face or hybrid learning space? And how, as educators, can we support them? There are numerous repercussions and the studies are ongoing at this very moment. You know, there is every month there's a new study coming out of what have we learned, what are we witnessing, what has happened. But what we can safely assume is, you know, there will be motivational issues. The online offered a lot of possibilities to escape. And I've seen that myself teaching online, you know, children were playing on their phones they only showed half of their face to return to structure of a classroom um, or even a hybrid mode is complicated to reintroduce 
that motivation, that internal drive to actually achieve learning. We also might not forget that children might return into a school environment from a home which might not be fun to be in to begin with. They have been introduced to a lot of stress through their parents and they might have witnessed other issues at home that they are taking with them when they return to the classroom. They might not have been exposed to them before. They might have not witnessed them because they would have been in school, but now they have been exposed to these things. Peer relationships is another issue, especially for younger learners who are still in this stage of developing their social interactions and how to be around people. We might see behavioural issues resulting from a lack of peer interaction. Children who've never been in a school without wearing a mask, for example. So for them, they would not recognise me if I take my mask off. That learning of how do we read people's facial expressions. If you're only five, six years old, you know, that is a very important aspect of human development. And it has been withheld for those children. So I see in the future there will be a lot of promotive work for children to pick back up on, right, this is how you read if somebody's happy and help and support those children of the pandemic era to master for these tools that are, for us, perfectly second nature. When you think about your learners, you know that they have a backpack of worries and anxieties and things that they're bringing from their home life but what that may have been in the past may have significantly changed in the period of the last two years so that's going to I think as a teacher when you're describing that I would be quite conscious now going back into my face-to-face classes to really reevaluate what I know or what I think I know about my learners and how I can see if that still sticks is it still true or has something changed absolutely and that's i think a very important point that you just pointed out we have built these mental images and have almost like an internal classroom and obviously the biographies of those children have been influenced just like the parents biographies have been influenced and everyone around them you know they might have experienced a loss of a family member through covid or lost a job and all these things filter down and those worries as you mentioned come into a worry backpack and i like that mental metaphor actually very much and i use that funnily enough in my counseling sessions and to unload that mental backpack is a vital tool for those students and opening the door in the classroom to actually unload and share is very, very important on a number of levels. Because first of all, it breaks down the stigma and everything that we could use with, oh my God, let's not talk about mental health. I'm fine. It also normalizes things. Realizing you are not alone in this is very important for everyone uh, who is suffering from anxiety or depression or any other mental health issue. Creating a normal environment where Openness is key and everybody is free to say without judgment how they are is so important. And there is brilliant tools around worry monsters, for example, especially with younger learners. And I've used them as well in the school where I teach. When the kids came back, we used boxes and build little monsters and the kids could just write in there and you kind of make a story out of it. You write down or you paint a picture of what is going on. You can toss that into the worry monster's mouth and the worry monster eats it. And you go from there 
And actually it allows also the teacher then afterwards to open the worry monster and over lunch, have a quick read through, what are my kids actually concerned about? Um, so this is a very, very good tool actually to uh, apply in the classroom setting. When you say worry monster, I imagine this is like a craft box. That's correct, absolutely. Oh, so you can use an old shoe box basically from home and you can make really a craft project out of it and mm. really cut out a little hole in the shoe box and the lid and you know use whatever materials you want to do to make the scary monster, which obviously has a rectangular shape, but never mind, monsters can have a rectangular <laughs> face. Um, and you can make little teeth and all sorts. And then you invite people, um, the children to say, right, okay, this is our worry monster. It's always here. Whenever you have something that's going on in your life that you are not happy with or that scares you, write it on a piece of paper, draw a little picture of it, and the worry monster will eat it and the worries will be gone. For younger children, that obviously works, but it also helps. You know, you can obviously translate it for older students by just opening up, you know, let's have a circle. Let's just everybody sit down and share what's going on in our lives, allowing space and opening up the space despite a restrictive syllabus is important, especially when regrouping after what is a very impacting experience. One of the things that Eve Conway mentioned in the final episode of season three was how course book writers are now thinking about mindfulness activities as part of their structuring and content. And I was thinking about where you said these opportunities to kind of share worries and process feelings and how that's coming more to the forefront on a content writing basis for, you know, young learners to look at the emojis, for example, and point to the one, how what represents their feeling and then talk about why they feel that way. It's an absolute vital aspect, I think, that mindfulness returns into the classroom. And becomes a more important aspect um, in the classroom. And it can take just a brief grounding exercise. Um, for example, you start out, it's like a warm-up almost. One of the grounding techniques that I use as a counsellor for clients who experience panic attacks or also for clients who realise they are procrastinating in their re revisions and so on and so forth is to return into the here and now is take a deep breath, close your eyes and just use your fingers to touch three things around you. Distinctly feel them and explain them in your head. What can you actually feel? Okay, I feel a table. The surface is warm because it's made out of wood. It feels smooth to the touch. And then move on to three things you hear. Listen out, really focus on your hearing. And listen to three sounds. Are they naturally occurring? Are they made by a machine? Do they sound shrill? Is the register low? Is it a comfortable sound? So on and so forth. And then finally open your eyes and look and focus on three things you see distinctly. Describe the shape of them in your head. Describe the colouring. Describe what is actually visible is it something natural again or is it something that's created? And be specific about those self-explanations. If you go through this little exercise in your head, um, it takes a mere minute, but it has a profound effect if you do it with full concentration. It will bring you back into the here and now. And this is something you can start a class with. 
especially when even in normal times, you know, kids just come back from the break and are here, there and everywhere. Okay, let's focus. Let's calm down and shift our mind to what's here in front of us right now. As a parting gift for listeners, are there any resources that you can suggest if listeners would like to find out more about student well-being and support? There is a brilliant webpage which is called uh, mindfulnessinschools.org. Um, and I think you will put the link um, on there somewhere. And they offer great courses and a lot of support material um, if you are interested in introducing mindfulness into your classroom work. But aside from this, there is, you know, you can YouTube a lot of mindfulness exercises, actually. You can look at breathing exercises, different body scans, how to conduct them. The only thing I would like to urge is if it is interventional work, speak to a professional. If it is a social worker, because they have counselling training to some extent, if there is a counsellor available somewhere, speak to them. But if you are doing a course within the teacher's body, maybe you can do it if it's an online course, maybe you can even talk to your principal as to introducing that into the syllabus, into the curriculum as an additional hour once a month we have a relaxation or we have a mindfulness day. And this is really helpful. But overall, I think what we also discussed, Laura, is that let's open doors, let's bring conversation in. If you are worried about a student in your class and think, well, he has changed or she has changed after the holidays, there is something wrong with that child. I don't know what. Speak to your colleagues. See if they observe anything. Find your social worker. Find your pastoral care team. Find any resource. Contact the parents. Open the dialogue. Be open, non-judgmental, and allow the time for reflection. And this will help purely by breaking down boundaries. Thank you for sharing your insights and for those resources that you recommend. That link to mindfulness in schools, I will put on the website as you suggest. So anybody interested in finding out more can go and check that out. Brilliant. Thank you. If you have any questions for Constantine and you would like to get in touch, then I'm going to hyperlink his name on the website to his LinkedIn profile so you can contact him that way. As always, if you have a question that you'd like us to answer or you'd like to pitch an idea for the podcast, then you can contact us via Instagram, Facebook or the website tesolpop.com. <laughs>